Well, it's good to be back with you today. I am excited to be back with you this morning. Um, doing the math, I was trying to go back to the last time I actually spoke, and it was a number of weeks ago. Um, we've had uh, guest speakers in. Lee Rogers was here last week. Pastor Matt's last Sunday was last week. University of Valley Forge came the week before. It's been a number of weeks that we've been doing different things, but this is the Sunday before we kick off the Bible Engagement Project here. And if you've been tracking with us over the last number of months, you have heard us speak about it. You've heard, you've watched videos. We've had a panel where we've talked about it, but we haven't just been talking about what we're going to do. You see, anybody can talk about what we're going to do or what you're going to do. Understanding logistics and the steps and and what Bible engagement is. And you heard Pastor Christine talk about an age-aligned resource that studies the Bible where we're going to look at Genesis basically through Revelation and we're going to pick different scriptures that we see across that over a 30-week period of time from October, the first week of October through the last week of June. And we explain what that's going to look like that every week that you are here, Whether you're a young child or you're an adult, we're all staying on theme for the exact same portion of Scripture. Why? Because we can all grow and learn together. I think this is something that we have um, honestly done a really bad job at at different times in our our lives. Where um, we spend a lot of time learning, but we don't spend a lot of time dialoguing. And one of the things you see in the Old Testament is that in the Old Testament... Knowing the word of God and applying the word of God wasn't something they did on the Sabbath alone. They learned the word of God, but the scriptures are very clear, and we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. It was a lifestyle and a mindset where the word of God was planted in their hearts and then shared where they lived, where they worked, as they walked. Every part of their lives was supposed to be overflowing, and the word of God was supposed to permeate every area of their lives. One of the reasons why we're doing this is so that every generation can have an opportunity to hear and also talk and discuss. Maybe it's around the lunch table after church on Sunday, or maybe it's after a Wednesday night youth meeting because our youth are going to be doing it on Wednesday nights. Our preschoolers through our older kids are going to be doing it on Sunday mornings. And here this morning, um, each Sunday morning, we're going to talk about the same scripture passage and topic. And all of that will be taken out to our small groups throughout the week to talk about it as well. I am absolutely convinced of the fact that I'd much rather take a handful of subjects and themes over the course of a year and have them planted in our hearts than try to figure out how to make 20, 52 of them stick. So there's 10 different themes that we see across the 10 months that we're looking at, and I'd much rather have 10 themes with 10 scripture verses. I'm going to warn you right now, okay? If you don't like to memorize scripture, you're in the wrong place, okay? Because every single week we're going to bring a memory verse to the table, and we'll keep it on for three or four weeks, and you'll have three weeks, sometimes four weeks, to memorize the scripture. Here's what I can promise you, okay? It won't be this big, okay? Sometimes it's just one sentence, and I guarantee you, you can memorize one sentence because I've heard some of you sing, and you can really, you can memorize a whole lot more than one sentence. Maybe you have to sing a tune to remember it, but here's what I know. Over the course of 10 months, there's going to be 10 key scriptures that will be planted deep in your heart that you'll be able to take where you, everywhere you go, and that can be used to transform you. Um, so we're, we're starting. Now, I, I thought about what am I going to talk about the week before the Bible engagement kicks off? What are we going to talk about? And why would it matter for us to talk about this? We talked about the what, the logistics. You heard them talk about if you're technologically challenged. We have a help desk out in the lobby for you today to help with a, an app and everything like that. But why are we genuinely doing this? And I think it's because of this. The purpose of our Bible engagement adventure 
is not just to read the Bible. You probably know people that have read the Bible and they don't look or act any different than people that don't. Jesus knew some people that read the Bible. In fact, they memorized the Bible and he called them whitewashed tombs. Reading the Bible doesn't change you. Reading the Bible with the intentionality to engage with it and apply it is what transforms you. So we're not going to teach people the Bible over the next 10 months. My goal and our hope as a leadership team and as staff is not to teach you just the Bible. It's to engage with it so that what we read gets applied to our hearts and our lives and it transforms the way that we live. Our goal is not to teach it to you, but it's to allow it to transform you, to transform us. And can I tell you, the transformation part is an opportunity It's not a requirement, and it's not a guarantee. You could come every week that we do Bible engagement, hear a verse, go home, and not do anything, and it will not change your life at all. But if you open your heart up to say, God, I want to make some room in my heart for what you want to do, and I want to readjust some of my priorities, and I want to make a few changes because I need some things to look different in my life or my thoughts, be prepared. Because when our hearts are open to let God mold us, he always delivers. That's what he does. So, the message of the Bible. If I was going to ask you this morning what the message of the Bible is, I wonder what you would say. Well, it's not about God. It's about God's pursuit for relationship with us. That is the story of God's word. I've told people before, and especially from a guy guy perspective, it's a little strange, but it's a love story. You know, I don't want to think about God pursuing me in a love story kind of way. That's kind of creepy if I'm being honest with you. I'm like, that's strange, a love story. But that's exactly what it is. It is a love story of God's pursuit of us. And if there's a reason, there's a reason why God pursues us all through the scripture. Number one reason why he created us in, rela- in his image, which means he created us to be in relationship with him, right? Some of you know this. Many of you might know this. For some of you, it might be completely new. You've never heard it before. But that's the whole purpose of God's word, is a story that shows us the pursuit of relationship that he has for us. Why? Because we are created in his image. The breath of God is breathed into the hearts of each one of us. And because he created us in his image, he created us to know him, the one who created us. We understand this. Some of you have heard me say this before. We understand this in different ways, but maybe one of the most significant ways that I always am reminded of this is the fact that I contemplate my eternity and my existence. I contemplate why I'm in this planet, why I live, why I'm here, why I'm so small and the world is so big. What purpose do I have in this life? Am I just here for 50, 70, 100 years, or is my life just meaningless, or will it live on beyond this? And I contemplate that because I was created by the one who is eternal. And the purpose that he's put in our hearts is eternal to know the one that made us. So there is, if you will, um, a problem with that, and that is sin. Some of you have heard of sin. Three little letters, big impact. 
Sin is basically mankind choosing their way over God's way, my way over God's way. And because of sin entering the world, a lot of stuff has changed from that original creation, right? Many of us understand that. The way God intended it to be, the way he intended us to act, the way he intended us to live looks very different today because of sin. But throughout scripture, and this is so cool, throughout scripture, there is a message There is a call, if you will. It's like an imperative given to all mankind. And it's a command to each one of us that's very clear. It's a new way that the writers of Scripture that were inspired by God show us a new way of living. A new way of living that goes back to the original way, that restores the way God has created us to know him. It's a command that calls us to a new way of living that first begins with putting our faith in Jesus Christ. That's what we witnessed today in the baptism tank. Giovanna isn't saved because she got baptized. She's saved because she put her faith in Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior, right? Baptism doesn't save you. If that was the case, the thief on the cross had a big problem. Because Jesus said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. But it is the very next step for people to put their faith in Christ. Why? Because the relationship begins. She was dead in her sins. She was laid into the grave. The water cleansed her like the spirit cleansed her, cleanses us spiritually, raises us to new life. And now as a result of that, we are saved and we can become followers of Jesus Christ with a new heart and a new mind. So number one, putting our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But number two, the call also requires us to be transformed. When we're followers of Jesus, we will look different. If we don't look different, we may not be following Jesus very well. When we follow Jesus, we look different. Here's what the Apostle Paul said about the transformation and the call, or I should say the imperative. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, he said, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, look what he says, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Stop this there first for a second. Um, there's no guitar in that verse, right? There are no drums in that verse. There are no hand raising in that verse. There's no voice in that verse. What is there? Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. True worship begins by putting ourselves on the altar and giving ourselves up so that God can change us and transform us. That's what true worship looks like. Everything else is an overflow. But then look what he says in verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by, what does it say? The renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I love that last part because I know a lot of people over my lifetime that have just want to know God's will for their life. Anybody know anybody like that? What's God's will for my life? Well, well, Paul answers that question. If you want to know God's will for your life, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you want to know God's purpose for your life, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you want to know God's plan each day, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what he says, and that's what it looks like. It was a command to all Christ followers to let God shape our thoughts. Not let the world shape our thoughts. That's what happened when sin entered the world. We were created to know God. Our minds are pure. Adam and Eve, their minds were pure. Their minds were without fault. Their minds were connected and they walked in intimate relationship with God. Sin entered the world and every input that began to fill our minds 
many of those inputs challenged the truth of who God was. They began going their way as opposed to God's way. But God's story is the pursuit of us. I won't go into detail and background and what happened before this when Paul talked about in Romans 12, but the first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul builds a case and he explains to people everything about what they need to know regarding the origin of God, as much as we can understand the origin, but then he also says God's undeniable existence, he talks about in Romans chapter 1. He talks about us being created by God. He talks about who we are in our identity without God. Earlier or later on in Romans, he talks about the fate of mankind in Romans 3 without God. He said, for all have sinned and fallen, what? Short of the glory of God. So we know who we are without God. We know what our fate is without God. Then we get to Romans and we talk about the grace of God. And how God made a decision to change things when we were unworthy in Romans 5.8. While we were still sinners, Christ, what? Died for us. God's love for us, even though we did not deserve it. We hear about the power of salvation in Romans chapter 10. That if we declare with our heart, Jesus is Lord. And believe he died on that cross for us. We consider him Lord. We can be saved. There's an invitation to live a spirit-empowered life in Romans chapter 8. And then he makes salvation available for all who true believe. And that's Romans 10. If we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts God raised him from the dead, we shall be what? Saved. He does all of those things setting it all up to say, here's where you were without God. Here's where you are with God. Here's how you can walk with God. This is what God has done for you to redeem everything the enemy has stolen. When he gets to, verse, to chapter 12, he says, therefore, basically, now that you just followed me for 11 chapters, Offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. Why? Because you shouldn't be conforming to the pattern of the world anymore, but you should conform to the pattern of God. Be transformed by the renewing of your what? Your mind. Take the way that you're thinking about God, about yourself, about the world, and make sure you are thinking about it from God's perspective, not from the world's perspective. It's a blueprint. It's a blueprint that we're going to talk about in just a little bit. The way we were intended to live. And Paul gives us that opportunity. Now, now that you're aware of God's presence, your condition without him, this is Paul talking to us, I'm paraphrasing. Now that you're aware of God's presence and your condition without him, his love for you, the grace he's given, are you willing to choose, your, choose to renew your mind in response? You see, what we're doing is not a, a command or some type of authoritative dictator saying, you must do this. Paul's writing saying, in response to what Jesus has already done for you, will you choose to renew your mind by knowing and applying his word? The number one way we can renew our minds, church, is to know the word of God. I want to take some of the mystery out of out of knowing and applying the word of God and, and, and knowing the will of God. And I know... Um, I don't know why this is the case, but Pentecostal and charismatic churches kind of fall more into this category sometimes where we take the expression and the experience of knowing the Holy Spirit and we turn it into almost like this mystical kind of a thing where, um, you know, if I just, if I just close my eyes enough and, and close my eyes and just pray enough that he's just going to download all this cool stuff to me. And, and I can tell you story after story of the Holy Spirit arresting my heart with things. There's no, there's no false falsity in that. His spirit speaks to us. He convicts us. 
He challenges us. He comforts us. He gives us wisdom, discernment. There's all kinds of gifts that come. But the number one way God has given us, the number one way God has given us to renew our minds is his word. The number one way. And how do you hear the Holy Spirit more in your life? You know the word of God. If you really want to know the Holy Spirit speaking to you and you understand when it's the Spirit speaking to you, you must know the word of God. We do it backwards sometimes. Well, I'm not, I mean, the Spirit is speaking to me and I don't really know. If you don't know if it's the Spirit speaking to you, Maybe it's because we don't know the word of God in certain areas. Because there are certain things that we do not need to pray about. Because the Spirit's very clear. He speaks to us through God's word. This is a great example of water baptism. I'm just praying if I should be water baptized, Pastor Paul. I've heard people say that over the years. I'm praying if the Holy Spirit and God wants me to be water baptized. And I tell them all the time, don't pray about that. Why would you pray about that? Well, I'm just praying. Like, is God asking me? Let's not, let's demystify the Christian walk. And recognize that when people believed, they were baptized. When they believed, they were baptized. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 28, As you go, make disciples and do what? Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is a very clear instruction that does not need to be prayed about. Now, if you want your family around when you're baptized, that's a different thing. Pray about your calendar. Don't pray about whether it's God's will for you to do it. Does it make sense? You hear what I'm saying about that? We have to demystify these things because when we see some things very clear in Scripture, we shouldn't have to pray about those things. That's why God's Word is the number one place for us to go to in order to have a renewed mind. I want to show you a couple of quick verses this morning just that reinforce all through Scripture that, that, that message that God gives His people, Old Testament and New Testament alike, that the Word of God is the foundation by which we are changed and transformed. Backtrack, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. God speaks to the people of Israel and he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He gives command to these people. This is out of their, after they've been taken out of, the, out of Egypt. This is beautiful. After they're taken out of Egypt, after 430 years basically of slavery, as they learn to think like a slave and live like slaves, he takes them out of Egypt into the wilderness. And as they're wandering in the wilderness, he gives them the law. And one of the things he says to his people is, Listen, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all their strength. Verse 6, he says, these commandments I give you today are to be on your what? Hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. And then he says in verse 8, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now, if you go to a Jewish home today, you still see the law on their doorposts. Anyone ever seen that before? They still do that. They do that because of this Deuteronomy 6 principle of taking the law of God and putting it on their doorposts. But though it is a literal thing that people practice, there's a deeper figurative message behind this. And that is the word of God, the law of God, law of God is supposed to be written on our hearts, not just so that we know it in our heads, but we live it with our lives. Make sense? That's the whole point. Because God knows something is going to influence the way we think. It's either his truth or the world's truth. And we choose each day if we'll be influenced by the world or will be influenced by God. Psalm 119.11, I have hidden your word in my heart 
that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119.11, I have hidden your word in my heart, the psalmist writes, that I might not sin against, who's you? God. That's what the psalmist says. Remember that verse because it's the first one we're going to talk about next week. That's going to be your memory verse for the next couple of weeks. So if you can do it this week, Psalm 119.11, you'll come in and you'll already be ahead of the game. Okay? Psalm 119, verse 11. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Look at Psalm 119.105. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. What is he saying? The compass, the map, the GPS that we need to navigate this world, to renew our minds, is the word of God. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Think about the significance of a lamp. It doesn't illuminate a mile ahead of us. It just illuminates the next few steps. As we walk in relationship with God, his word steers us and directs us towards him. So we are influenced by his word and not the world's. Isaiah 40 verse 8 says, The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God endures, what? Forever. His word is living and active. His word in Hebrews says it's living and active and gives an example and an illustration of how it divides things and separates the good from the bad so that we understand truth. If I fast forward to 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, the Apostle Paul tells young Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Why? So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is one of my favorite passages when you talk about the word of God, because Paul is saying to a young man, he's saying, scripture, all scripture. Back then, they didn't have the 66 books that we have. But what he's saying is every part of scripture is God-breathed. It was inspired through agents, not instruments. An instrument has no, an instrument has no ability to influence. It's like a trumpet. It's just an agent or an instrument for me to blow my hot air through. But an agent in their personality and their skills and their language inspired by the Holy Spirit penned the scriptures that we now know to be the word of God. And Paul says it's all God breathed and it's useful for teaching. That is understanding what is right, correcting, understanding what is not right, training, I'm sorry, teaching what is right, rebuking, that is understanding what is not right, correcting understanding how to get right again, and then training in righteousness is how to stay right. So we know what right is. We know what wrong is. We know how to get right again, and we know how to stay there. That's what the word of God is about. That's the foundation of why we are in scripture and why scripture matters. This morning, I'm sharing all this because as we get closer to move into Bible engagement, we have an opportunity to open our hearts, our ears, and our minds to understand scripture and let it apply to our hearts so that we can experience a renewed mind. And today I want to share two brief things with you that I believe we need to know about experiencing a renewed mind. Two things that I think if we actually take to heart and we plant in our hearts, we will walk the journey because walking the journey with the right expectations will not disappoint. So two things this morning I want to share with you briefly this morning. Number one, about a renewed mind. Number one, a renewed mind takes time. A renewed mind takes time. We do not live in a patient society. Can I get an amen on that? (laughs) We want it yesterday, right? We want everything immediately. I was reminded of that again this week in every airport that I went to. Every time they tell you when you're boarding, 
Every person that's getting on that plane gets up and tries to cram to the entrance gate at the same time. Anyone have that experience? We're now boarding group one and two. And everybody all the way from group one to group 99 gets up and tries to squish to the corner. Why? We look at each other. It doesn't make any sense. We need to do this. We need to do this now. It doesn't make sense. People are impatient. They want to make sure they get on the plane. We were running so late for our first flight this, this week that we almost didn't make our second flight. And I talked to one of the flight attendants and I said, listen, we're going to be really close when we're landing. Is there any chance that we can, you know, do you think we're going to make it based on where our terminals are? And she looked at my schedule and she goes, she goes, I think you're going to be fine. She goes, we will make an announcement on the plane that anybody that doesn't have a connecting flight to please stay in their seats so that other people can get off. And I smiled and she looked at me and she goes, and nobody ever listens. <laughs> True story. So they made the announcement, and I was, like, I was like all the way in the caboose right, of the plane. So I, I got out, and we were walking out, and she was in the front. And I looked at her. I said, can you believe everybody here has a connecting flight? And she told me. She goes, I told you nobody listens. Why does everybody need to get off right away? Because we live in an impatient society. Everything has to be now. We've been trained to get it instantaneously. A renewed mind takes time. Look at this scripture in Psalm chapter 1. When the psalmist writes about what it looks like to be blessed and to walk in the ways of God. He says, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Verse 2, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. There it is, the word of God, the law of the Lord. And look what he says. And who meditates on his law day and night. Stop just there. The law of the Lord that we meditate on. Meditation would be synonymous with marinating. You like a good marinade? If you're going to marinate something, you're going to let it sit for a while, right? You're going to turn it over. You're going to watch all those juices get in, all those seasonings and sauces, everything. It takes time for that to get into the core of the meat before you grill it or you cook it. Marinades take time. Who meditate on his law day and night. And then look what he says in verse 3. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Can I tell you, if you have a plant, and think about this, if you have a plant in your kitchen or maybe you have a greenhouse or a garden, when it's been really hot, they wither because they lack water, right? If you pour water on that plant, you don't see the leaves just pop up instantaneously. What does it take? Time for the water to get into the soil, to get absorbed by the roots, for the roots to take the water up so it fills all of the little capillaries in the, in the plant so that the plant can be hydrated again. The same thing applies to our body. If you're dehydrated, just drinking a glass or a couple of cups of water won't, dehydrate, won't rehydrate you in five seconds. It takes a while for your body to absorb that water. Can I tell you the same thing applies to being renewed with the word of God. You may need to take that scripture and that verse. You might need to think on it, marinate, meditate on it over and over again. Every day you might have to get up and remind yourself of what that word says until it starts to sink in. How great is the Father's love for us that we could be called children of God. And that is who we are. Exclamation point. That's what Paul says in 1 John. How great is the, how great is the love of the Father that we should be called children of God. Do you believe that this morning? If you struggle with it, <coughs> maybe you have to meditate on that every day. 
What does it mean to be a child of God? What does it mean to be a son or a daughter of the Most High God? Do you feel less than? And there's so many things that could influence that. But we have to meditate on these things day in and day out for the renewal to happen. Because as we are meditating and letting these things marinate, there are all types of inputs around us that are telling us things different. There are other messages all the time that are telling us things are different. A lifetime of experiences have shaped us. What has made you who you are today? Thankfully, many of us could say, well, part of what's shaped me is having a relationship with Christ. But you know else? what else has shaped you today? Your childhood experiences have shaped you today. Peer pressure has shaped you today. Friends, well-meaning or not, have shaped you today. Enemies, movies, media, social media, school, college, celebrities have shaped us. Do you know that? Even those that don't think they're a role model, guess what? They're a role model. All of these things shape us. All of these things shape our understanding of who we are. All of these things shape the way we view ourselves. Our self-worth is shaped by the things around us, right? The way you view yourself is many times influenced by what society says is important or what matters. Your importance is viewed through that lens. The way that you look at community is impacted. The way you have your own identity is impacted. Your friendships, what are considered healthy friendships, unhealthy friendships, they're all shaped. How you view healthy marriage is shaped by the world around you. I mean, I say this, I was tentative, should I say this, but I've already told my wife this before. Like any girl I dated before I married, I married my wife and dated my wife, I told them that I love them. Don't judge me. <laughs> Buckle up, because you can judge me in just a moment. I remember one of them, when I broke up with them after like two or three months after dating them, they said, um, but you told me you love me. And you know what my response was? Everybody says that. I told you you're going to judge me. <laughs> I said, everybody says that. Do you know why I said that? Because I watch TV and movies. I'm not joking. Like, aren't there things you look back in your life and you go, I was so stupid. Right? Some of you are like, no, just you, Paul. Just you. But let God work on your heart because you're, you know, you got some issues if you don't believe that. I legitimately told somebody Everybody says that, don't they? Right? Don't you feel for that person today? Like, I made it on their I hate you list, I'm sure. Man, it's not funny whoever's laughing. (laughs) How do you view marriage? How do you view love? How do you view sexuality? Teenagers, how do you view sexuality right now? Not just identity, but sexual purity. I mean, I literally have heard people that are born-again Christians, professed born-again Christians, telling their sons and daughters to go live with the other person just to make sure that they're sexually compatible before they get married. We have to make sure you're compatible. Are you kidding me? Do you know what God's word says? Do you understand that there is a reason why God reserves certain things intimate relationships to our husband and a wife and not for anyone because it destroys you if the relationship falls apart. 
How do you go from casual awareness to connecting your lives in such an intimate way? And then when that falls apart, it's like severing something that was never intended to be cut. Every time you get deeper in a relationship, it's like another strand of rope that gets attached between you and that person. And then when that relationship falls apart, and many times it does, you don't just distance yourself. You know, it's not a simple separation. It's like cutting and cutting to separate, and it hurts, right? How many of us have had an experience like that to say, yeah, I know what you're thinking, and if I could go back and do something different, I just wish I, and we can't. The world tells us what it needs to look like. God shows us there's a different way. So many examples. Financially, another big one for us to talk about. What does it mean to be financially free, to understand that God has given us resources? What does it mean to live in a way that we can have a heart of generosity? And we'll talk about that in November. But what does that look like? And what is God's plan for managing his resources? Can I tell you right up front? God's plan for managing his resources is not tithing. Well, if I give 10% to the church, everything's good. No, that's not true. You can tithe and still be a financial disaster. And you might say, that's not biblical. It is, because financial management is what God wants us to do. He wants us to recognize it all belongs to him. He wants us to manage every resource he gives us carefully, which means get a budget and don't spend more than what we make. He wants us to give back to him faithfully, and then he wants us to practice a heart of generosity with everything else he gives us and enjoy a bunch of it in the process. You see, it's not just a thing. It's many different things come together. And if we don't understand what God's word says about those things, we will become derailed. We will become derailed. But can I remind you, all of those things take time. All of those things don't happen overnight. Those things need time to to marinate so that we can understand more clearly what God has called for us to do and how he's called for us to walk. You good so far? And he is still stuck on my love comment. I hope not. <laughs> Good. Because remember, for every time there's a finger pointing at somebody else, there's three more pointing back at you, right? <laughs> like that, right? Just saying that. So, hey, I'm being honest about that, and I regret that. And, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry. A renewed mind takes time. Here's a second thing that a renewed mind is, and this is super important. A renewed mind is a restored mind. A renewed mind is a restored mind. If we can understand this one, we are on the right path. Here's what I mean by this. God does not repair broken things. He restores them to the original. He does not repair broken things. He restores them to the original. That does not mean that there may not be scars in our relationships from past decisions I've heard people taking, you know, broken this. If this was a jar or if it was glass, you know, they'd crack it and they'd say, you know, oh, put it all back together and you can see it's a jar again, but you see all the cracks that represent all of your bad decisions. There's some truth to that because we cannot easily forget all of the decisions that we've made in the actions of our lives that represent ungodly behaviors, right? But when God looks at us through the lens of Jesus, he sees the original. He sees restoration. He sees beauty. The devil wants us to look at it from this perspective and see all of the sin and all of the pain and all the regret. Jesus looks at it, or God looks at it from this perspective through Jesus and says, beautiful. That's how I made you to be. Everything was created. Does that make sense this morning? 
This is so important, and I'm sharing this with you because when Paul talks about living a renewed mind and walking in a renewed mind, it's a restoration process. It's not just gluing pieces back together. Why? Because in the Old Testament, this was the challenge to Israel when they came out of Egypt. He continued through Moses over and over again, telling them consistently, stop being free men and women and living like slaves. I freed you, live as you are free. In the church today, we let all the things of our past hold on to us, our struggles, our regrets, our pain, our sin. And instead of letting God renew our mind and walking in freedom, we say, well, we have Jesus now, but, you know, I, I, am, I, I am still, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I don't know what you'd call me. I'm, a, I'm an incorrect love definer. <laughs> I hurt that person years ago. Or I'm just Paul, the issue, I, this is my issue, and I just have this struggle and that struggle. And, and we just put the labels, isms that we put on ourselves. Everything is a diagnosis. We're this, but we're also this. No. No. I'm not a broken person that found Jesus. I'm a restored person that remembers what I was and who I was before Jesus. See the difference? There's a difference in that, friends. And the word of God is the thing that transforms us. When Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, this is what he meant. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is what he's trying to get at. You have been restored from the way you were or you are to the way that God intended you to be. So, What are we going to do this morning with this giant TV? Well, I'm glad you asked. Ah, Where are we here? Hang with me just for a second, okay? Some of you know. Does anyone have an idea of of, of what this is here this morning? Hang on now. Not a video game. No, it's not a video game. Um, But just bear with me for a moment as it sees. Please wait. It makes me wait, too. I don't want to wait. Just, yeah, I'm just kidding. Okay. Here we go. What are we talking about today? No signal. No signal. Let's pray in Jesus' name. Tell me if you get signal here just in a minute, people. We'll see if we can get this working here. If not, I'm going to call in the special crew here. And Pastor. Oh, oh, oh I hear it. I see it. I see it. Here we go. Here we go. Hey. Hey. Does anyone know what this is? What is it? Yeah, y'all can read. It says Etch-A-Sketch on it. That's right. Okay, this is an Etch-A-Sketch. What does this have to do with a renewed mind, you ask? Well, I'm glad you asked because I'm going to tell you. Okay, so let me just come over here to Mr. Etch-A-Sketch, okay? And I'm going to give you a brief example of what I'm trying to explain. And we're doing this because, remember, Bible engagement is not about adults. It's about all generations, and may, I'm hoping some of you are going like, I remember that. That was a lot of fun. You might remember this, but your kids are going to remember it more. Okay? So remember this. It's really hard to see that, but maybe you could see, hopefully, um, there is a picture on that screen. Can anyone, anyone see that up front especially? Does anyone know what it is? Call it out if you know what it is. It's, it's a boat, right? Can everyone see that? Like if I face you a little bit more? See, it's a boat. Right, the people on the side, they can't see that. It's a, it's a boat. Right. It's a boat. Okay. If you can, just imagine with me just for a few moments. This is how God created us. There's a blueprint that exists in all of our hearts. He says in Jeremiah, 
He says in Psalms, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. And he told Jeremiah, before you were even knit in your mother's womb, what? I knew you. He knows every part of us from beginning to end. And this little boat that some of you can see demonstrates that. Okay, so again, you got the little boat here. Okay, so this is the way it was supposed to be. Then sin enters the world, okay? Okay, sin enters the world. Okay, here, I'm sin. Can you see the little guy moving around, hopefully? Hopefully you can see sin entering the world. Let me back this up a little bit. Sin enters the world. And instead of following the path that God has created for us to follow, we try to do it our own way. Now, I'm going to tell you right now that I am not the artist. So I'm going to try to follow the boat. Okay? Don't laugh at me. (laughs) There we go. Got the boat. There we go. There's my boat. And probably easier for you to see, there's the sail. And there... Y'all can do a better job. Look at this. Look. Right? Here we go. There it is. There's the little sail there. Right? Thank you. Thank you for the encouragement. There's a porthole right there. And there's another porthole over there. And no, whoop, that's not a bad one. That's a bad one. And here's another porthole. Right? So I'm going to draw. So what am I doing here? That doesn't look anything like a boat. But this is what happens. God creates a blueprint for us. And he says, this is what I've created you to do. This is what I've created you to think, how I've asked you to live. And we say, we got this. We got this. So what does it look like? Well, I know what relationships really look like, God. It looks like, it looks like this. And God says, no, it doesn't. Okay, I really know what it means to be financially secure and to do your, no, you don't. As we're doing that, oh, Lord, I really love this girl and that girl and that girl and that girl. And that's why I'm saying everything. No, and this is what's happening. And this is her mind, actually, at this point, because she's so confused (laughs) of what's going on, right? And this is what we do over and over and over again. Everything in this drawing We try to do it our way and not God's way. And then we come to Christ. And we think, if we don't understand 2 Corinthians 5, we think that new creation means that Jesus takes the wheel. And he basically says, okay, you want me to take the wheel? I'm going to start bringing you here and start carefully showing you the right way in the midst of all of the mess. But that's not what he does. What he does is says, no, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. He says the old is gone and the new has come. And he resets us back to the way that we were. Now, it doesn't mean that we won't see the scars, right? It doesn't mean we may not see the bad drawing before, but he wants us to know you are a new creation. And now if you allow me to show you what you want, what I want you to do, I will guide your steps. I will trace your path. I will renew your mind. And if you continue to walk this journey out with me this way, what you will see is the beautiful masterpiece I already created for you to be. Does that make sense? It's so important. So, so we do that, and I can't even begin to try to be because I'm not God, so I'm going to do the same exact thing here. I'm going to make a mess. But if we try to do that in our own, even though it's... And here's the beautiful part about it. If I go fast, I make mistakes, right? But if I go really, 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 really slow really slow. It looks more and more like what it's supposed to be. But then I get impatient and I do it in our own way. And then that whole thing starts all over again. God reminds us, no, you're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Why am I sharing this with you today, right? 
Make sense? Good. I'm glad it makes sense to you. Because if we can understand this idea, church, of what it means to be a new creation, and a renewed mind means that God wants us to be back the way that he created us to be, and we're willing to walk it out over time, we will think more like God has called us to think. We will act more. Our relationships, our marriages, our jobs, our communities, they'll represent Christ more simply by allowing him to show us how to navigate this through the power of his Holy Spirit. Make sense? So this is what we're going to do. One, we're going to get ready to close in just a moment here, so our worship team is going to come up. But I want you to know, remember I told you we're doing this across the entire church. Next Sunday, right, Pastor Rob? I got the timing right on this for next Sunday. We are going to have a giant Etch-A-Sketch hanging on the wall of our church, okay? Yes. Now, hang on. Before you get excited, it won't work, okay? Because some of you are like, how did you build? Someone asked me last week, how did you build an eight-foot Etch-A-Sketch that worked? We didn't, okay? But the knobs will work. And we might have a couple extra toys for some of the kids to actually play with it. But instead of saying Etch-A-Sketch, it's going to say, be, re- be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And every series we go through for Bible engagement, instead of the image here, the Word of God will be on the Etch-A-Sketch. As a reminder to us that God has called us to walk according to His Word and will, not our own. Does that make sense? So I'm sharing that with you because if you have children here, they're going to come in next week and they're going to go, whoa, what's that? You have an opportunity to talk to them about, we're going to take a journey over the next many months as individuals and as a family, as a church family, and we're going to renew our minds. And we're going to use scriptures. We're going to use scriptures to combat the things that we think are godly and prove out what is godly and what is not godly. If you're here this morning, can I encourage you? Prayer and fasting kicks off tomorrow. How are you using this next week to prepare your hearts for what God wants to do in us and through us? I, I, I'm not as old as some of the people in our church and I'm younger than others and I'm younger, I'm older than others and I'm younger than others than some. What I can tell you in the years that I've been alive, we have had more of a direct attack on the word of God and the truth of God in my own lifetime that I've ever experienced. Now is probably one of the most significant times when our parents need to understand the word of God. Our older, more mature people need to be able to impart that to others and continue to change. Our younger people need older people to pour truth into them because they're spending all of their time in the school system and on social media and they're filling their minds with the incorrect version of what truth actually is. We need to be about a people that plant the word of God deep in our hearts so that fruit can be born and we can have renewed minds. So this week, will you prepare yourself through prayer and fasting? Though we don't have prayer meeting this Tuesday night, we have a prayer and worship night on Wednesday. Will you come and join us as a church family to be a part of our prayer and worship night? Are you part of a community group? As we open our hearts and our minds to say, God, what do you want to do as we meet on a weekly basis to take your word, apply it, pray and support the people? If you're not part of a community group, this could be your opportunity this week. I want to encourage you to join a group. We have a group, Pastor Rob told me the other week, that meets aside from Saturday, I believe, right? Every single weekday of the week, there is a group that's meeting across our church. Hopefully one of those times work for you. Will you make room for God in this next season of our church and in your life? Will you make room for God by gathering in community? 
Will you make room for God by memorizing and reading his word? Will you make room for God by meditating and applying on what you've read? And will you make room for him just by letting him speak and listen to what he says? I can promise you this, and this is what I love about it, is that man does not change man. God changes man. So if we give God room in our lives through his word to change us, we can experience his will, his word, and his way. Would you stand with me, please? Father, we just pray this morning in Jesus' name. We just pray in Jesus' name that this, this, this step that we're taking as a church to be engaged in the Bible, to understand your word and to let it change us would not be just some rote, some rote practice or some mindless task that we're doing, just another program or an event. Let it be an opportunity to let the word of God transform us so that we can know you and be changed by you. God, may our hearts be open, we pray. And will you make room in our hearts as we open ourselves to you in Jesus' name.